Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 51. We all sat around before trying to think of something that befits the number 51, but none of us could think of anything that's got any 51 relevance to it whatsoever. Uh, Andy Marr alongside Mark Hayes, didn't 51. Use, didn't use to average 51 in the 1993-4 oh, cricket see, season. That is magnificent. I'm not sure I ever averaged 51 in my life. I, I reckon Blake, Martin Blake probably did. You're a fine, I, fine player back in the day. Probably more likely to average 51 with the ball, right. unfortunately. <laughs> Big show today. Brad Kennedy, Hayes, he's caught up with uh, one of the one, a fine, fine player, fine international golfer that Australia's produced. Brian McPherson. It's been a while since the last of the McPherson files. We haven't. It has. Oh, I think he's got some interesting things to say. We, I mean, he's very, you know, alluring to listen to at the at the at the worst of times. And we promised a bit of a syndication. Where, is, where his, are we talking to him from? I think he's in China. Right. I'll have to confirm at that the moment. He, well, he was last, yesterday when you texted him. I was teeing him up last week, and he's in Florida. And you know, last time I saw him play, he was somewhere completely different in Europe. And you know, he is. You wanted to use the word maybe journeyman, you know, around Brad Kennedy, which which you never, I never like using that no, word because it's got a, a sort of negative, and I think it's unjust in connotation. His case. Yeah, yeah. But literally, Brighton is the journeyman. He is everywhere. The frequent fires are going okay at the minute, but I think oh. a golfer should be a journeyman. Yeah, like golfers should That's take their want, game. They should it? journey with their mm. game. They should be a journeyman or or a journey person for to befit the modern world. They should they should be prepared to travel around the world and play the game. Nicholas Player Palmer. Oh, they were journeymen. Absolutely, like never off a plane. No, no. Um, so there's a lot to get through. I, I want to call Brian McPherson an earth golfer. Yeah, like He's that. an earth golfer. I like that. Okay. He'll, he'll like that. We'll, we'll too, put that to him when we get there. Yeah. Um, so let, let's whip away through what's taken place. Not a great week for Australians around the world. I, I don't think we've really. Uh, I'd say shoddy if you took out yeah. Brad Kennedy. Other than Brad Kennedy. Other than Brad Kennedy, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should um, touch on that anyway. He's, he's please lead, lead off with it. Yeah, yeah. he's 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 uh, at the so rain, one in Japan. A right? rain shortened event in Japan. Fifty-four holes. They, it was shortened before they started. They knew, all knew what they were getting into. Lift clean and and uh, cheat, as some people say. No, lift, lift clean and place the ball. And they all started off, you know, on a very sodden track. Balls bouncing back when it landed off. We using a driver. It was that wet. Uh, Sunday dawned and it was pretty nice. And uh, Brad Kennedy thought, "I'm four back. I'm in a tie for eighth. He bogeyed the second, and uh, he thought it's now or never. Mm. And it's now. He just lit up nine birdies, career best nine birdies." After that, and that's phenomenal golf by itself. But when you consider that no one else in the top dozen or so betted 69, 
64 sounds mm-hmm. bloody That's impressive. Awesome. And he's 44 years of age, boys. So it's encouraging for the older golfer. Because I, I haven't heard anything of Brad for ages. No. I mean, I think he's won, what, three times in Japan or something? That's his third year. in Japan. He's 12th yeah. as a pro. And he talks about, you know, what it means, the difference to him when we when I caught up with him. He talked about the difference between his motivation now and his motivation when he was a young bloke. It's quite interesting. So, yeah. So in terms of, and I hate to bring it back to this, immediately, and I don't know whether you've spoken to me about this, but in terms of the financial reward and return to a player like Brad Kennedy, will he have made good out of golf now? Will, will the game financially have been good to Brad Kennedy? He's been doing this for nearly 20 years. Well, it's fascinating, and he does talk about that a little bit now. He, he It's basically a, a numbers game to him now. I don't mean in terms of birdies. I mean in terms of finances. He'll mm. play as long as it continues to be financially viable. So he, he actually documented it for us, which is really good. $5,000 a week it costs him to, to live and play in Japan. Is that right? So he's basically got to figure so out... 250k a, to, to 250k break to break even for the year. And, and you're not then, wanting to break even. Goal. That's no good, is it? So, no. so, so this yeah. week he's made the equivalent of um, 270000 Australian dollars. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's going to copy his whack in tax, but he's basically paid off his year and everything now is cream. So... Mm. It, it's really interesting to hear him talk about it like this. Um, he goes, I'll, I'll play. Like He's clearly not a multi-billionaire. Yep. Um, but I'll continue to play as long as that's viable. When the numbers don't add up, I'm out. Well, I don't think it's – I always feel a bit grubby talking about money, but when you're talking to professional golfers, it's their job. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to. What you, but we're always looking in – and anyone listening to this, we're always looking to get – You know, we're always very conscious of what we're earning and how mm. it meets our – Mortgage, kids, car, you know, all the bits and pieces. There's absolutely no reason at all why a professional golfer doesn't have exactly the same focus on the earnings on a weekly annual basis that he gets from the game. And I, I, I love hearing the fact that there are pros out there who are like the conscious of it and aren't necessarily making 10 million bucks a year out of the game, but enough for them to follow their dream. And you never know, you know, you never know. I think the romance of it overweighs the... the you know, profit and loss statement mm. when you're 20, 25 even. But for him, it's very much uh, accountancy-driven. Mm. And, and it's it's fascinating. It's actually fascinating to hear because it doesn't make sense if your job didn't enable you to pay off your uh, mortgage, your car payments, your petrol to get to work mm. uh, and putting food on the table for your kids, you wouldn't come to work. No way. So, no. Um, you know, it's it's as simple as that. And we, it, you're right, Andy. It's it's a different way we look at sport as opposed to the n- normal and in inverted commas jobs. So let's start, Blakey, with the the most extraordinary story of the weekend, I reckon. Um, LPGA Tour, um, Thornbury Creek, uh, Catherine Hull-Kirk, defending champion, defends well. She was in the mix early. She, she shot 15 under, mate. 10 under in the opening <laughs> round. 15 so she's under. going okay. She shot 15 she under and finished... Tied 20th. Beaten by 16 shots. <laughs> How has this happened? Extraordinary happen? performance by Se Young Kim from South Korea, Andy. 31 under in a four-round tournament. Beats the LPGA all-time record as regards under par. Previous record was 27 by Annika Sorenstam and Se Young Kim. Yeah. So, obviously, she's a player who can really go off, you know, when she gets gets hot. So, Se Young Kim just dominated. She started the last round, I think, eight in front, then shot... Some ridiculous number in the last round. I've got to ask the question about the course setup, Andy. And I know that 
Mike Clayton was tweeting about this yesterday. For, it wasn't just her. I mean, she had a hot week. She putted. Everything went in. Uh, she, I think she missed five greens in four that's, days. That's five the, greens? That, that's yeah, just outrageous. Yeah. That's but the there single were five most players, extraordinary statistic of five, To miss five greens in four days. Uh, look, there were five players 20 under or better. And that's the, the one that jumps out at me. I think that, sure, we don't want to knock down Se Young Kim because she was clearly outstanding on the week, brilliant. But the course setup, it's too easy, Hazy. So what do you, what do you think about it? Is it this Thornbury layout? Cause she, yeah, it's, the, it's the, too she short. She was driving on Sunday an average 282 yards. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she's a very long Handy. knocker. Which, um, which Clates wanted to point out. So the course was five is, yards longer than Greg Norman was driving it in eighty on average in nineteen eighty six. Which well, is well, Clates, who who spends a lot of time following women's golf, says that they should be playing on tees that are further back. But well, many times come six. That was six thousand six hundred and twenty four yards that course. But I watched quite a bit of her, and she was just wedging into the par fours, hmm. and the par five she was hitting rescue clubs onto the green and two putting for birdie or or eagle. You know, so so. Uh, the course is too short for her. So maybe we're seeing, we talk a lot about the ball flying too far and what it's done to the courses in terms of the men's game, but it's it's so of the women's game as well, Hazy. It absolutely has. And and this course, for some reason, I mean, it's not at altitude. It's just in Wisconsin, so it's <laughs> relatively low-lying. Um, last year, again, you needed, uh, I think it was three under to make the cut, and this year you needed four under to make the cut. Uh, it's not a good... You know, 15 under. Catherine, I keep going back to Catherine Kirk. She's got a course yeah. record in her first round. She finished at 15 under. That wins you tournaments. Absolutely it uh, does. You know, six days out of 10 probably well, on Minji the LPGA Lee's Tour. finish 14 under in a tie for 23rd. Yeah. yeah. That's and, crazy and stuff. This is Did crazy stuff. you happen to see uh, the, the extraordinary, one of the extraordinary things of that week was uh, what happened to Beatrice Ricari from Spain? Oh, that was unbelievable. She, yeah. she actually whiffed a driver. I've never seen that in a professional tournament. She missed. I didn't see it. Her back, right? it, to be totally fair to her, and she's a good player, she's been around for a long time, her back foot slipped right. in her backswing and she missed the ball. Did that, you hear the commentators, though, Blakey, they were considering trying to figure out a way as to whether or not she should be, I guess not penalised, but uh, um, made to pay the stroke? Give her a mulligan. Yeah, because <laughs> she, um, by the time she slipped, she hadn't intended to hit the ball. I, I think she made a. She addressed the ball. She took a swing yeah. at it. Clearly, was losing she a made balance. A pass of the she, ball. She, yeah, she didn't. Was... She didn't stop swinging. That that you know, if she'd slipped and sort of managed to pull up in her backswing, then yeah. I, I saw actually. We'll talk about Kevin Nair in a minute. But I saw Kevin Nair, uh, who has always had trouble, you know, playing quickly, hasn't he? But I saw him swing over the ball once, uh, intentionally. Uh, that was unusual as well, uh, and that wasn't counted as a stroke because he decided he wasn't going to hit it, so he swung over it, and he said, okay, that's a practice swing. But this was a full-on swing. It was pretty extraordinary, wasn't it? It was unbelievable, and you never... I mean, you wouldn't see that in club land, let alone pro land. And what about Kevin now, Andy? I was going to leave them till last, to be honest, because I I think of the results in major tours this week, it was probably the least significant of all of them, and another pretty dreary week on the PGA Tour, from my perspective. I'm finding it pretty hard to watch American golf at the moment. It doesn't help, I must say, when we get into the European summer and we start seeing courses like Ballyliffin, and it makes yeah. it hard to flip over to the U.S. courses and watch mm. the Greenbrier. Yeah, it does boring as bad. It expert. really does. And not only that, we're coming up to the Open Championships, and a lot of the best players have decided not to play. Well, that's a very good point too. Mm. So, so we'll get to him in a moment. Okay. The Irish Open. Um, 
was it just it, beautiful just to to turn it on and just watch Magnificent. it. Magnificent. Just let the vis- the vistas overwhelm you and delight the senses and all the rest of it. Has but that it, inspired your little trip? Well, it has actually. Going no, on? I did. Because you were tweeting about this the other day. No. Did you? We got an invitation, Hazy. No, no invitation. Not. More than to come along. <laughs> Me and my three mates, both of growing up. You're going up to with. Ireland, aren't you? 2020. We're going to do it in 2020. As we, a result we, of turning on the telly, it was this year. I, just, I sent the message out to the boys and said, yeah. "Righto, before we're too old or before we die, we have to go. Who's in? Either tw- this time next year or this time in 2020. Who's in?" And within 15 minutes, in, in, in. <laughs> so we've got the four. It'll be 2020, and we've got 18 months to or two years to plan the, the whole thing. How did the bride go with that? Well, she said straight away, "Terrific." I'll meet you in Rome uh, as soon as the golf trip's up, and we'll spend four weeks uh, doing that. So nice. now I've just got to find a way. Win. Do I get paid to do this show? I've got to find a way of making some money now so I can pay for this thing. So it was great to watch. And then it came down. It was just a magnificent final day. I must have been. I went to bed, watched the, got up in the morning and sort of cut down highlights as I fast-forwarded to the end. The South African bloke who was always going to find his, Eric Van Royen, was always going to find himself in... Uncharted, we did find himself in uncharted territory. Four-shot lead going in. That lead had evaporated by the turn. He's Ryan Fox, who I think we're all kind of barracking for. He can play. We're all barracking for him, I think. Absolutely. Cracking bloke. bloke. Um, Went right down to the wire and probably had the better of the chances on 18 and in the playoff. But the two putts that Russell Knox (laughs) made, almost identical putts, by the way. probably about Foxes. Hey? As were Foxes. They were exactly right, yeah. And he couldn't make either of his. Knox made well, he both. lipped, didn't he, in the playoff? Yeah. He lipped out. Knox v. Fox is interesting. But mm, yeah. They were just about 100 foot of putts. Uh, and they were both dead centre, perfect holding speed. You can't deny the like, can you? No, they were just two of the great putts back to back. It was an extraordinary turn of events because you think Foxes, you know, bogeyed the first and you think, oh, he's got the wobbly mm. knees on. And, you know, then he's got it pretty much shot to pieces, you would have thought, on that last green. And, you know. 20 agonising minutes later, he's watched two bombs destroy his Irish Open hopes. So Russell Knox is the only Scottish player in the top 100 in the world. I was just reading a piece by our friend John Huggan today on the Golf Digest website, basically saying that Scottish golf is actually in a bit of trouble, even at the amateur level. They're not producing many good players at the moment. Russell Knox clearly is one, but he he was through the college system in America. Mm. I actually called him American in copy in a story one day about a month ago. Got a quick uh, direct (laughs) message from Mr. John Huggie. If you're listening, Huggy, I know he's Scottish, okay? He obviously learned how to play... Brain fade. He obviously learned how to play golf um, in his time at the American College and growing up in Scotland, of course. But he obviously had never played um, softball or cricket. So he's got no idea how to throw. Did you see it on the Friday? Oh, on the Friday, he's eating an apple. Now, don't, forgive me, I can't remember who he was playing with. Um, but he's eating an apple and he's walking across the green and he's finished the apple. He's got the core in his hand and his playing partners and the caddies are behind him. And he looks over to one of the big grassy banks and he thinks, oh, well, it's an apple core. It's going to decompose. I'll, just chuck it up into the be on the other side of the hill and she'll be right. Nature will look after the rest. Well, he's sort of gone to underarm it, but the apple's stuck in his hand. And in turn, in, instead of it going out and over the hill, it's sort of gone over his left shoulder. Whoo! Whizzed by the caddy, <laughs> by like skimmed his nose on the way past of one of the blokes he was playing with. Well, they've all just sort of stopped and sort of, did you really do that? And knocks his laugh and his head off, and they're all had this moment of. That is about the silliest thing that anyone's ever seen. And he, he, to his credit, 
after the round, he did the interview and they played him what had happened. And I think it was Jay Townsend and Tony Johnson. Tony Johnson, who I do, is just about my favourite commentator, <laughs> he was laugh. His laugh was so infectious as he was watching what Russell Knox had done. If you haven't seen it, you got to track it down. It was it made me laugh anyway. Um, <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. A decent <laughs> adrenaline rush to hold a putt of that length to win a playoff nah, it was in awesome. a European tour. So over to Kevin Nah for you, Blakey. Yeah, first win for seven years. I'm pleased for him. I know so you guys, you bashed him and crashed him for months and years. Well, is, he the inaugural member, is he the inaugural member of the Roger Bannisters? No, mm. J.B. Holmes was. J. B. Holmes. He's, a, so he's, I, a, he's I, a vice captain. Yeah, right. I read a quote from him because he took, from starting on the PGA Tour, he took eight years to win a tournament. And he said the other day that... When he won his first tournament, he said, well, it's taken me eight years. It's not going to take that long again. Well, it took seven. Right. So he won easily, didn't he? So, you know, he's a nice sort of a guy, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, um, well, it's a real points. pity the way that he plays and so slow, but he won quite easily there. I remember on the him one day. I think we were – well, no, I'm not sure we were doing the – started doing the pod by then or not, but I think he had 15, 15? 15 in the Texas Open. Mm, he had some enormous number. He hit, I was watching it when it happened. Went into the briar and tried yeah. to hit it out of there. Yeah, yeah crazy, absolute brain. I watched brain the explosion. whole thing. He had fifteen shots on a hole mm. and played every single one of them. Like I don't think he was a. He might hit one in the water, so he had to take a drop out of there. But it was they were. I think thirteen or fourteen in, swings of the club. On he the went hole. into this bracken that he couldn't get out of. <laughs> yeah, it was quite extraordinary. Just an absolute brain. Fire. I can't fall for him, Blakey. Just purely someone who shall remain nameless timed him from his announcement onto the first tee the other day to the time he actually struck his drive. So I mean, it's the drive you've been planning in your head yep. for the past, you know, twenty and, hours. And you've been on the range. You've been on the range. You're good to go. <laughs> you know exactly what it's doing. It's the first fairway for God's sake. Forty-two seconds from the. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Nah, forty-two yeah. seconds. Yeah. Just hit it, Kev. Just hit it. So that's Kevin Nah. The only one was he made the cut. That was Cam Percy. A long way back, flat. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a big opportunity missed for Matt Jones, mm. that ilk of player who we talked about last week in that one twenty-five to two hundred bracket, and only Cam Percy made the cut. That against a. A mediocre field by tour standards. Yep. That was a big opportunity blown. And, mm-hmm. and harking back to the LPGA tour, I don't want to potter, but Rebecca Artis had a really good opportunity and, and fumbled a bit in her last round too. So as what you said, to open the show, Andy, it's a pretty flat weekend for the yeah. Aussies generally. So Absolutely. Hazy, working up to the Open next week at Canoostie, who's our, who's our form player? I think it's quite hard to, hard oh. to pick at the moment. Oh, I don't think you can go. I think Cameron Smith's off the boil. Yeah, I don't think you can go past Mark Leishman. Leish, it's probably the one. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's proven in the open. Yep. yep. Um, and I I think he's bobbed up a few times this year without getting over the line. So yeah, he's he's the man to keep so an eye out. Before we get too far away, uh, and we'll get to a break soon. Brad Kennedy, not too far away from joining us, Phil Mickelson. So there's a couple of stories we need to just touch on with Phil before we get to the break. The penalty on the seventh on the I can't remember what day it was on. This was, for a bloke who's played as much golf as Phil Mickelson has played, for him to do what he did was 
Well, it was absolutely, it was completely for extraordinary. That, for those people who haven't seen it, he stepped down some uh, fescue grass at the front of the tee box. So how far uh, away from where his ball was teed up was it? Three or four oh, metres? I'm going to say meters? five metres. But he, he said later whiskey. that he was going to, he was intending to hit a sort of a stinger, low stinger shot that he's been working on. And he was worried that it was going to clip, clip the grass on the front of the tee. So he walked and stepped it down. He, he then went back to either his caddy or his playing partners and said, I'm not sure that's legal what I just did. Well, hmm. Clearly, it's not legal. I mean, I spoke to a rules official who I know this morning, and uh, they said, "Well, of course, it's not legal. It's, you know, it's improving illegal. your, hmm. it's improving your life." So. Uh, it's like you know, getting behind a branch on a tree and say, "Okay, I'll take that branch off." It's the equivalent of that, really, isn't it? That's so, exactly what it is. Yeah. So he copped a two-shot penalty uh, after the issue that he had at the U.S. Open. Not a great look for Phil, but you know, at least he owned up to it uh, in the sense, Hazy, that he it's <laughs> oh, yeah. been re- it's been reported he that he penalised himself two shots, wow. but that's not quite clear. That's not quite correct. Is no, it? and you had it right the first time. Mm. He copped it because fundamentally. He didn't know the rule. He didn't fess up to it. He didn't have a clue what was going on. So uh, it's one thing for him to say that rubbish, that complete bollocks at the US Open. You know, and I knew the rule. I was just sort of testing the limits or whatever. And should have been... Should have been you know, DQ, but been we DQ'd. digress and we've all had our say on that. This one was, as Jeff Shackelford pointed out, who's a, you know has been a guest on this program before, very well-respected journalist on American golf and world golf for that matter. He's, he's a true earth golfer. It's true golf journalist, uh, he said, fundamentally, this is not Phil putting his hand up to take a penalty. This is He did not know that rule, otherwise he clearly wouldn't have done it. And there's so many ways out of that. Go and re-peg the ball. It's mm. not like, you know, if you think you've done something wrong, you wouldn't just walk into a two-shot penalty. Uh, he was assessed the two-shot penalty, and I'm sure the, LP, uh, the PGA Tour didn't like doing it. But they had to. It's, it's, a, it's a rule of golf. I'm surprised that the PGA official on hand, didn't just throw the book at him in the first place. Mm. Said, Are you kidding he, me? He actually said he was going to check with the oh, committee, yeah. didn't he? That is a fundamental mm. rule of golf. Mm. Just, I'm sick. I'm, I've had a gut full of feel at the moment, uh, Well, you, 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 there's going to be more of him because we also learned this week that there's this $10 million kind of exhibition match um, that's going to be held in Vegas, I think. I'm not sure what the date is. They haven't um, set the date. They actually the date had yet. a date. This uh, is with Tiger Woods. Yeah, they, they had a date organised, but it fell through. Uh, so it looks like being later in the year. And so, yes, so, it'll be in Vegas. So of course it, place it, for of it. Of course it should be in Vegas. I'm just, really, I'm just really, really grateful, Andy, that two blokes on the, on the bones of their ass yeah. can come together and hopefully one of them can you know, see the light of day financially. There's only, one, there's only one thing that makes this interesting from a financial perspective, and that is, A, if it's their own money, yep. which it's not. It won't be. Uh, and B, if every cent of the $10 million goes to charity. Yeah, which it won't. Well, some of it probably will. I mean, it'd be silly to say that you know Mickelson and, and Tiger don't have a benevolent arm to you know the the organisations that they are. But um, it's the well, obscenity. Got... The obscenity of it all just knows no bounds. It's if anyone can convince me of one reason why any of us should be interested in this, oh, please go ahead. I'm not interested in it. The only thing I would say is that from their point of view, if someone comes to them and says, why don't we do this, then you're going to go along and do it. You'd like to think that they'd you know, sling a bit to charity, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you hope so. Yeah, if not, a lot. But 
you know, it'll be probably be a pay-per-view thing, Hazy, a bit like uh, Mayweather-McGregor or whatever. I mean, these things, they do, you know, there will be would there will pay, be interest in it, even you, though I'm not interested in it. You won't be paying to watch it, though, will you? I would not pay to watch that, no. I mean, we can watch it every not, other week. Not one brass razu. Well, well, I'd like to know who will. Well, who will pay? Is Someone it the, is it a come on, go Tiger, go Phil, is it the yeah. idiot American supporter? Who yeah. they're, they're the ones that will pay for this. In the hole. Yeah, that, that, that one. Baba yeah, Booey. <laughs> He'll be there. Baba. That guy will be there. Yeah. Is there any, I know you're seething over there. Is there anything you want to say about this before we... No, no it's, it's obscene. It's totally obscene when you know we, we're sitting down here in the, in the Antipodean regions of the American tour, uh, unable to you know, garner an event that will uh, muster a field of global imp- importance. That was just a lot of big words in that That's sentence. Lot, that was good. I liked it. Um, I, I, like I, Sam Kekovich <laughs> swallowed a dictionary. I just, I just can't believe that anyone can give that the light of day when there are far bigger issues in the game of golf. Here, here. Uh, we're going to break out of the way. You're listening to episode 51 of Inside the Ropes. Great story, Brad Kennedy. We've touched on why uh, Mark Hayes has sat down and done uh, an in-depth chat uh, with Bradley. We'll hear that after this. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we probably didn't give Brad Kennedy the kudos right off the top. Well, I didn't anyway. I said it was a flat week on the major tours around the world, but um, his win in Japan has catapulted him almost in the 100, top 150 in the world. He's climbed about 60 spots after that win on the weekend, which is fantastic for him. At this stage of his career, you caught up with him um, for the show, Hazy. I did, Andy, and I started by asking him the significance of his third win in Japan and his 12th win as a professional. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Uh, mate, this is a, a phenomenal achievement. that you've, You're just carving out a career that uh, has gone largely unrecognised by a lot of people, but if, as I said, you're third in Japan, your 12th win as a pro. It's it's coming together nicely. Yeah, it is. It's been, yeah, been on, on tour now for 21 years, so it feels like a lifetime, but it's yeah, I've had a lot of success in in and amongst those those years. Uh, as any any sporting career, I guess you have the highs highs and lows. And but for me, since I've been in Japan, uh, 2011, I've really found a place that I enjoy to play. And yeah, it's great. It's a great lifestyle for me to be able to go back and forward and and um, carve a good career out in Japan. I, I love the courses over there. They really suit my style and. Um, yeah, it's just a really enjoyable place to play. So we'll go, perhaps go back to the age and the stage of your career a little later on, but just specifically at the weekend, I mean, it was a rain-shortened uh, tournament in Hokkaido and you, you, you all had it all in front of you on the uh, on the Sunday morning. You woke up, I think it was uh, lift, clean and, and place the ball um, and knowing that and beautiful course, I'm led to believe. Was it the North Course? Is that what it's called? Yes, the North Course just it seems to, um, you know, be somewhere where people can go low. But looking at the scores all week, they weren't, you know, demonstrably low until Sunday, and that was courtesy of your good self. 
Yeah, well, it played, it played really long. There was no... The, ball, the balls were coming backwards with drive on the fairway, so it was normally that time of year it's quite dry and you're getting sort of 15, 20 yards of run so that the course played a lot shorter and for whatever reason this year they really tried to tuck the pins behind some tricky slopes and it was actually quite difficult all week and it was just on Sunday I was four back going into the last day I knew, knew it was going to take something pretty good but I really wasn't thinking of of shooting that type of score uh, especially Bogue in the second hole I I just sort of really, I think that bit of a wake-up call to sort of say, okay, well, if you want to be in amongst it, you're going to have to uh, get going and it'll manage to make three birdies in a row after that. And, and that was probably the key to my week. Every time I made a bogey, I made a birdie straight after. So it was, I never lost any momentum throughout the tournament. And, and yeah, sort of shooting four under the front nine, I, I sort of thought that I might be in with a chance going into the back nine and that's all you want to was as a player you just want to have an opportunity going into the last nine to really see what where your game's at and how you can stack up um, under that pressure situation and manage to really play play well um, I think I only missed about one shot that I wasn't quite happy with in nine holes and um, managed to to hold some putts behind I think I had 12 putts on the on the back nine which <laughs> which helps any day and in talking to you in preparation for this, you were saying you did something that I, I, I think I would personally find it almost impossible to do, and that's not look at a leaderboard. Yes, yeah, it was. I've done it in the past, and it, it has positives and negatives. But I think when a few times when I've had a chance to to compete for a for a win, I've looked up and I've reacted the wrong way. Whether it's be whether I'm in the lead or whether I'm behind. I've actually reacted to that, and I think that's just over over experience and seeing how I've done it in the past. That I've, I'm better off just really working on my own my own game, not worrying about anyone else that's that I'm playing against to for the win, just to be able to concentrate on what I can do, which is which is the hardest thing to do to be able to be in your own little place and, and try not to think too much. You always. You always, it always does come into your head, but you've got, got to get rid of that as quick as you can because you just got to play um, play yourself. And if, if you happen to beat everyone at the end, then that's that's the way it is. But a few times I've looked up and and it's it's cost me. So I'm trying to, as much as I can. Um, but then in, in other respects, if you're in the middle of the field, you can look up the leaderboard and, you, and use that as an advantage. And then you can attack a bit more and realise that, okay, well, I'm not, playing too badly but I'm five or six back and I, I need to attack a little bit more so I, I look at it in various stages but I just knew that on Sunday I needed to just concentrate on what I needed to, to do and fortunately for me everyone else seemed to um, just sort of stay stable on the back nine. Yeah, I guess you get five or six deep though and, and you know you know that you know, within reason, you're going to be half a show in the closing two or three holes. That must be so tempting to just sneak a peek at the board and to see what's going on. But you didn't. You you stuck fat and had a massive finish. Yeah, I did, and it's hard, especially with 16. 16. It's probably one of the toughest holes we play all year. It's an island green, 165 meters, and when you when you're worrying about other things, it's not the type of hole you want. <laughs> so I knew I knew by then when I was six under. That I was, I was 
in amongst the fight, which is which felt great. But there was uh, yeah, that wasn't a, wasn't the time to start looking at leaderboards and worrying about anything else. And they managed to hit a great six iron into there and made par. And then I again just played the last two holes exactly how I wanted to play. And fortunately for me, the guys that were then chasing once because they still had three or four holes to go um, managed just to uh, par the last few Mate, what, You mentioned Japan before what is it about the courses that suit your eye and, and your game in particular They're very tight courses the, you know, the fairways are on average maybe 40 yards wide the greens run at 12 every week they're absolutely immaculate and I think that's they're my two keys, hitting fairways and, and my putting, my short game inside 100 metres. And I've sort of found that I really enjoy that style of golf. You get rewarded for hitting a fairway. You don't have to hit it 350 yards down the middle to be able to score. And yeah, so that's that's my the way that I like to play and why I've been able to have some success over there. And it's not just your success this year. We've, we've talked to a couple of people on the Japanese tour, a couple of Australians, um, four of you, Brendan Jones, um, Anthony Quayle, and of course Matt Griffin. Now, we'd like to consider him our own here, Brad. But uh, the four of you in, yeah. <laughs> inside the top thirty uh, in the in the Japan money list. It's a it's a phenomenal achievement. It must really sit well. I think um, I don't know if culturally is the right culturally is the right word, but the ability to come home. And we're speaking to you from Queensland now, so you know you've managed to get on a plane and come home. It must give you that sort of feeling of you know being almost able to play from your backyard. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a hidden hidden tour, Japan. I think everyone, when they first start off, they always want to go to the US or Europe and sometimes Asia. But I think Japan Japan's one of those hidden places where once once you get there and understand and accept a few things that go on up there, it's, it's really just a brilliant place to play golf. They're well done. There's no politics involved. So you just, if you get in, you get in. If you're not, then you wait for the next week and there's more and more guys are starting to realise that that's, that's an opportunity, especially with Asia being so heavily weighted on money lists and the European tour. The, the good thing with Japan is once you get on the tour through tour school, you're, you're playing for the same money every week. So there's no advantage for guys that are exempt the year before. And so that's one of the, the ways that I looked at the a pathway for golfers. You, you want to have the same opportunity coming out of Q school than you do being an exempt player. And yeah, I think there's a really good group of guys starting to really push each, push each other up there. And because there's always that, that inner rivalry between the Australasians and um, there's nothing like other guys that you <laughs> have dinner with, have dinner with uh, three or four nights a week playing well because that just makes you focus that little bit harder to try and be that person so I think it's a good healthy relationship that, that the players are building up there all sort of working off our own uh, off each other's performance when Michael Hendry finished second at the Mizuno Open mm-hmm. uh, Anthony finished second at, at Crowns Matt Griffin finished second at uh, Japan Pro so I think everyone's having a little bit of success and that's sort of uh, creating a bit of competition between us all what I think you're eighth on the money list now. What does that actually mean to you in the in the big picture here? Does it enable you to focus on majors or next year, or what does it do to you? Uh, personally, for me, it, it gives me the the wind me a two year exemption 
from next year. So I've got this year two more years. So it gives me exempt in Japan till 2020, which will then give me a 10 years on, on tour, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And it gives me a being a winner this year will get also guarantee me a start in the JT Cup, which is the end of season tournament, like the tour, tour championship. Uh, 30 players for 1.5 million so that's mm-hmm. an added bonus at the end of the year and but realistically it just sets up my playing future for the next next two years we and now sorry mate to bring this up but 44 years of age how how long is yeah, this gonna, <laughs> how long is this going to roll on this party yeah well, a birthday a couple of weeks ago and that um yeah 44 it's i i actually the, all the all the work that I'm doing off the course is really paying off. I I spend a lot of time in the gym working on my game. I love road riding, so I'm always on the bike. Um, just started running again, which I which I hate, but something you have to do. <laughs> and but I actually feel stronger now than I was in my thirties, which is which is great. Apart from an injury that I had last year uh, coming through that, but at the moment I feel as good as ever and. Now, I just feel like I've, um, if I can just increase that a little bit more, that that'll continue the longevity and looking to the end of 2020, um, I'll be 46 then. It might be time to hang up the clubs. Do you think you'll get the all clear from the bride then? Um, I don't <laughs> think it's. It, it won't be. She won't mind either way. I think it'd be my decision, <laughs> um, purely based on, purely based on the fact that. Um, golf to me now, been doing it for 21 years, has really become a, a business. Yeah, and I love I love the game, but more importantly, I love the competition. And if I could still feel like I can compete, then I'll I'll uh, keep teeing it up. But as soon as I lose that feeling of the ability to win, um, I don't want to just be be there teeing it up just to be a number. Then that'll be time for me to say, okay, well I've uh, had a good run and time to look at something else how would you know that brad like do you just wake up do you think and go oh i haven't got it anymore or is it just a series of results or what's what what would be the the um i guess the the bright light that shines to make that possible that decision uh well i actually had it recently to be honest um i had a shoulder injury which i had in 2016 at the japan open i tore two muscles in my shoulder and i played played through agony for about four or five months and I was going through that stage right then um, I had three three sets of cortisone injections and a plasma injection to try and get it right and I just couldn't couldn't get it right I was just constant pain every time I was hitting a golf club and I, I really felt that could have been it um, going through to surgery and life after post-surgery I wasn't sure what I was going to do so I was actually relived a bit of that idea and feeling of what am I going to do once I stop playing and mm. but luckily I found a found someone that was able to help me here and I'm back back with no pain and feeling feeling excited again about uh, the prospect of playing for a few few more years but I yeah I think it's just purely a personal thing if you realize that the game's past you that's and you feel like you can't have that ability to win some some people are comfortable just playing golf being a golf pro and earning a earning an okay living but for me purely it's a business and if i can't justify spending 25 weeks away a year 
from my family. I've got two daughters now, and they're they're right into their their own sports. Then you start to miss things that their milestones that they're they're doing is it, then it starts to kind of evaluate what you, what's important. Is, I take it that's a relatively new feeling for you, that sense of business. I mean, it presumably has grown over your career, but I imagine when you started as a, as a young bloke, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did a traineeship, I believe. Yes, I did did a traineeship. For, yes, I did that in, started that in 94, just a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and but, then, yeah, I did that. And then straight away, I went into the head pro job at Coolangatta Fleet Heads, yep. which I did for a year, and I learned a lot about business I took over the pro shop and and worked for the club for a year and then I was really keen to get out and play so I first uh, went on tour end of uh, early 98 played here in Australia for a couple of years and then jumped onto Asia where I was sort of jumping between Asia and Europe for 10 years and it's yeah the love of the game is always there but now it's just purely a numbers numbers thing your expenses and probably spending about five thousand dollars a week in Japan so you have a rough month and it, it's hard it's hard to to be able to continually um, give yourself that that pressure mm. it's a lot of money isn't it so, if, you, yeah, if you, uh, you got to turn 20 grand a month profit to uh or not profit 20 you've got to turn over 20 grand a month just to keep your head above water yeah it, and it is uh, that's the hardest thing about playing professional golf, I think, in terms of as an amateur, you're, you're just playing for the game, playing for the win. But as soon as you turn pro, you've got all these outside influence on you that people are expecting you now to perform. You know, you're spending your own money. You're traveling on your own. It's, it's a whole different world. And it's actually, it's hard to... Some people just aren't able to do that. And I feel, feel like I've been able to do that the best way that I possibly can because I was never... Never in state teams. I wasn't interested really in amateur golf. I just purely wanted to turn pro. But I just, I just loved that idea of playing for playing for money. And mm. and um, when you got got tournaments on the line, or even just making a cut to be able to get through a cut and then perform on the weekend, they're sometimes the best the best weeks of weeks of the year. How would you feel if Tiger or Phil came knocking and said you wanted to play all up for ten million? Well, I don't have ten million. <laughs> <laughs> I'd uh, I'd play him for a couple of thousand, but yeah, that's pocket change in the They wouldn't even turn up for that. But, no, that's true. Yeah, I, I honestly, I'd I'd take on anyone. I don't really have any issue with people I play with. Um, I play with some great players over the career and, and matched it with them all, so mm. that doesn't bother me in the slightest. And something else that doesn't bother you is the notoriety. I mean, here we are talking to you after a victory. We sort of you know, in some ways, quarter prearranged this at the Vic Open when victory wasn't, you know, a factor. But um, doesn't really bother you to walk down the streets and not get recognised, does it? No, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm pretty, pretty quiet in my own little world. I just uh, go about my business, uh, take care of my family, and and um, yeah, my friends all got a great bunch of friends and a good base of people around me, performance coach and, and um, Michael Jones at Sanctuary Co, my, my technical coach and yeah, it's just just go about my business, it, it doesn't really bother me to, to be able to, um, to not get my name in the paper or anything like that, it's just <laughs> just uh, under, under, fly under the radar as best I can. 
And it would be remiss of me not to ask, uh, and you mentioned it, you touched on it before, you know, you're very happily a, and a proud Gold Coaster. You found someone there, I believe, in Queensland to write that problem with your shoulder. Who, and you mentioned it before. Who was that and what did they do? Um, was a was a group uh, just out near the Grand at, at the back of the ring called Solaris Health and Wellbeing. And just uh, a friend of mine had gone to see see him through through an injury they had. They had a bulging disc and had 18 months of pain. And within four four treatments of seeing him, she was back horse riding again. So wow. I thought, well, give me the number I wanted because I was at Wits End <laughs> is what, what I wanted to do. And basically through, through a lot of... Um, I do kinesiology and reflex stuff, and he just found the source of the problem and, and worked on it. He, he actually realised that my shoulder wasn't in the in its socket properly, so that was the first thing. Wow! And then, then it was just other other indicators throughout my body um, were taking the taking all the stress. So once my body became balanced again, that the 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 pain started to go away, and the, then I was able to start to strengthen my shoulder again. So yeah, I owe, owe a lot to lot to them and and um yeah, also my coach Michael and also um Dave Ord, my performance coach who I've been working with for about four years. He's really um taken my game to another level purely by how I practice and that's been another major asset for me in terms of what I do practice wise now and I don't practice much at all but I still Get the get the, my best results. Are you a better player at forty four or or at twenty six? Uh, tough question. Um, I guess I'm a better player now thoroughly what I know. If yeah. I knew what I knew when I was twenty six, and that probably everyone says that, but really, for for what I've gone through, I thought I was pretty good at practicing. Um, for what I know now, I knew nothing. And yeah, my, my actual practice routine now is purely based on performance. So I practice harder in a tournament environment that I do um, in a tournament. Mm. So my practice level is above the tournament level. So when I get to the tournament, it doesn't feel different. Um, a pure pure example for viewers out there is I use, it, I use my track man and set up on the set up line which is gives you a direct line to your target and I stand up there with driver and I have to hit it within seven and a half meters left or right of that line which is 15 meters hmm. and I see how many see how many times it takes me to get five inside that 15 meters and some days it might take me 10 sometimes it takes me 20 other times I might get six or seven wow. and that purely just shows me that there's not one fairway in the world that I can't hit because there's no fairway that's that's wider than that. And that's so that's just purely bringing performance back to how you practice. So you you would mentally at least step up at Cool and go to Tweedheads or Augusta National, thinking the same thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that's something you probably thought at age 26. So that probably answers the question. No, no, definitely not. Even even with wedges, like every every wedge. Um, editing inside 10 feet so that's um, yeah, just purely working on the numbers backwards um, sort of 24 24% of on tour on the US tour um, hole from 10 foot which is quite amazing 
Mm. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it. I think we could talk longer, but I probably should let you go. I know it's a busy week uh, when you come back with a lot of uh, requirements of a winner you've got to fulfill. So we really appreciate your time on Inside the Ropes, and, and it's great to have your name among all the uh, list of Aussies doing so well in Japan. We wish you all the best for a great second half of the season. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully uh, in the distant future we'll be talking again. Brad Kennedy joins us on the show. Fantastic chat. It's a, it's just a great insight into um, the the journey of yeah. a pro golfer who doesn't get the kudos, publicity, the handouts, the easy road that you know some more talented and gifted phenoms um, receive on the way through. Um, I'm glad we heard from him, Hazy. Yeah, and as he mentioned, he, he had you know no interest in being an amateur golfer as a kid. He just wanted to play for money. Mm. So he just wanted to get out there and go. He wanted to be a trainee pro. He went to Coolangatta and bang, just let me at it. I want to win money. So it's it's fascinating to hear his motivations behind it all. And you know to hear him talk about the training drills now, and I, I just would, wouldn't mind talking about that with you guys for a bit more. Um, he's He's got a coach, Michael Jones, that he referenced on the Gold Coast, but he also, um, Dave Allred, the guy... Is his mind coach, I suppose, more than anything at the moment. Um, a golf nut himself, an Englishman who coached Johnny Wilkinson to kick us to death in I knew the 2003 I knew, I, I, I 203 knew, World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I Drop knew goal. I knew that name from somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> mm, um, he's he's actually got him doing things much harder, as you heard him say, at training than he does on the t- in tournament play. So he does a, sp- a different drill where he's hitting seven irons into a a very small five-meter circle around a supposed target um, in training. And when he goes out onto course, he told me after we finished chatting that if the greens look like a soccer field. He can't miss them. Uh, that's something that I've never experienced, Blakey. But, um, <laughs> I reckon Hazy's going back to his club with that this week. You know? uh, well, it's it's a fascinating thing. And, and we've mentioned before, um, you know, the aim – what's the thing? Aim – Aim point. aim point. No, not aim track point. The track, uh, of, you know, no. shots, shots, to shots to hole. Shots to hole. Shots to hole. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and the guys who at Golf Australia who um, expound that sort of um, platform just say, take the flag out of the of the hole and just shoot to the green and you'll shoot better scores. You won't have a target. You'll just put it in the middle of the green. And I suppose in some respects this is what he's doing. But Dave Alder, not only um, is he coaching... Um, also, Francesco Molinari. Yeah, here. right. Who's going okay. Car. And he He's took, going okay, took yeah. him over in the last sort of seven or eight months and subsequently won on the two big tours and world ranking just soaring. He's also helping the Brisbane Lions dismantle your blues. Um, he's been coaching uh, Daniel McStay for the Brisbane what? Lions for a couple of weeks and he's played his best two games since being a, a boon re- recruit a couple of years ago. See, that's why I, I like coming on, I like doing this show <laughs> and talking golf with you guys because it's an, it's an escape. <laughs> from barracking for Carlton. And there you are, Whack. bringing that back up. Yeah, sorry. About Most that. unfair. But he's he apparently, um, but, according to Brady, he's just a, he's, this guy, Dave, is, a, is a, just a golf nut and he's a gun for hire travelling the world uh, and sort of feeding his love for golf by, by chatting to golfers and helping them out too. What, and he's a, one of the lucky few. What, what, a, what a gift that is from somewhere that a guy at nearly 45, Brad Kennedy, who's you know probably... Tried everything from a technical perspective, and he's probably had head coaches and you know psychs and all those sort of have. He's probably had those available to him in the past. But what a great thing to be able to find something at you know in the kind of Indian summer almost, or approaching that of your professional career, find something like that that changes everything in your own mind. 
Look, it just I, makes the thing work. I can recall Ernie Els in his probably in his early forties having a guy called Joss Vanstafu, I think his name is a South African guy who's now passed away, unfortunately. But I couldn't believe it. I you know, I actually spoke to this guy and interviewed him and he was a mind coach of sorts. And Ernie, who was, you know, at that point had been head to head with Tiger, mm. uh, you know, number two in the world, won a couple of majors, all that sort of stuff, and he was working with this guy on the green and I was looking at it you know, but that Obviously, the incremental improvement is, you know, in their minds, isn't mm, it? You know, mm. and I'm more impressed with both of your pronunciation of the Southern African sort of. Uh, the boot. <laughs> it's been well, very him, impressive. It's him, far, not me. Oh, because you, you, yeah, you did yeah, Van Royen yeah, yeah, before. Yeah, that's right, I did too. Far better than your Japanese, Sandy. Uh, see again, very unfair of you. <laughs> we'll get a break. Gun. No, Haru. Gun. Naruma. Naruma. We got him. We got him there. Oh, yeah. Can we edit that out, please? Uh, we won't do that. Uh, we'll get a break out of the way. A whole lot more we're going to get through on the other side of this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, I'm Sarah Kemp. My rugby league teams aren't doing that well, but I'm always happy because I'm listening to Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to the show. It is Inside the Ropes. Um, we, we probably should do this more often, Hazy and Blakey, but... We did want the Bride McPherson files to be an ongoing part of the show, and it has been, but we're probably not catching up with the great man as often as we should, Hazy. I'll, I'll put it's it an down. oversight I'll, on our behalf. No, it's my fault. No, I it's mean, not. Not at all. <laughs> I love having Bryden on, and every time Bryden comes on, Andy, the feedback we get is actually extraordinary. People love listening to his thoughts. So for those who may be new to the podcast, everyone knows the name Bryden McPherson, fine, talented Australian golf pro who's playing over in China at the moment, and in early conversations uh, before this year's series of shows went to air, we thought, what a good idea to have access to a pro who can just re- routinely keep us up to date with the actual life of a professional golfer. And that's what we like to do with Brian McPherson. And who, who better to do it with than him? Because he's got a far broader worldview than certainly us <laughs> and most other professional golfers around the planet. And he's been good enough to join us again. Uh, Brian, uh, it's been too long, mate. Thanks for rejoining us on the show. Gentlemen, always happy to be here. What's the last three or four weeks look like for you? Well, certainly, but it's probably been two months since we spoke to you there or thereabouts, I reckon. But what's the last kind of three or four yeah, weeks in particular? Hey, I said, I said it's been something like that. Uh, the last three or four weeks for me has been, I got a last minute call up to the Switzerland event on the Challenge Tour, a Tuesday morning email to uh, East Coast US time, so Tuesday afternoon Switzerland time. Jumped on a plane that afternoon and landed on the Wednesday morning to tee it up, which was great fun. Um, and then uh, Alan Dussarat, who's the uh, director of the Challenge Tour, said to me, well, you came all this way. Why don't, I, why don't you play again next week in Belgium? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. So, um, so I played those two events and, and played, played okay, made like a 20th and a 50th or something like that. And uh, it, was, it was great fun. I really enjoyed the opportunity. And um, then came to China and uh, started to feel like myself again at the event in Kunming and, and had a chance to win. And that's always exciting. So, and uh, just had three weeks off at home with my girlfriend and my dogs. 
and uh, just back on the road now for three weeks in China. So, um, so the the travel, any opportunity you get, you take. Even you know, the two weeks is a bit of toing and froing, getting back and forth. But any opportunity you get, you take to get back home. Uh, to Australia or to the US? No, to your, well, you're calling US home at the moment. So, yeah, whatever you whatever you refer home to home as. Yeah, my home base is you know Jupiter, Florida has been um, for the last six years. Uh, me and every other golf pro in the world seems like, but um, <laughs> it's yeah, every chance that I get uh, to get home, um, I take. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a. Um, you know, uh, unspoken agreement between me and my girlfriend. Sometimes it's spoken, but mainly unspoken. <laughs> that, you know, whenever I get a chance to come home, I should come home. And, you know, my relationship with her is really important to me. So I take that opportunity to either be on the road working, in inverted commas, or I'm at home, you know, and uh, I think that's a good way to balance it out. What does she do for... Has she got a job? She must be working she, back home, is she? Yeah. yeah, she's a yoga instructor. Well, that's got to come in handy. Yeah, it does. In you know whichever way you want to take that. Sure. <laughs> well, I, I'm talking, I'm talking G-rated, of course, here, Brighton. So, yeah. <laughs> um, t- it's a family-friendly show here, Brighton. So, you know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't, have, you know, but, you know, you have a broad listener base, right? You know, true. And I, uh, that's gold. It's not hey, big. Hey, she doesn't do bit. Just I need to talk about this. She's not doing Bikram yoga, is she? No, she hates Bikram. This whole have you heard the podcast? Have you heard this? The story I'm, about Bikram Chowdhury is I'm horrific. Fifth, I'm three fifths of the way through it. It's frightening. I'm really glad to hear you say yeah, no. It's not same, hers. Same. Yeah. Hey, Bryden, yeah, uh, Jupiter, Jupiter, Florida. Uh, you don't happen to come across the shark um, at all, G. Norman. Me, me, and the shark run in very different circles. <laughs> uh, he lives. Yeah. He lives Jupiter the way you're supposed to, and I live the way. Um, that I do, <laughs> so which is, you know, not uh, not exactly. You're in the, the liberal science, end of uh, Jupiter, right? The, well, there's, not I the mean, Republican the end. end of Jupiter consists of just me, so yeah, right. a one-person operation, and and also, largely yeah. speaking, you're clothed, Bryden, so that it would actually rule you out of the shark circles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just, uh, you know, there's 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 a, a different circle that you can run in Jupiter if you've got the access and, you know, the money and the connections to get into those high-end clubs. And it's an amazing lifestyle. And that's obviously where I want to end up, um, you know, not for any other reason than that would mean that I've succeeded in my career. So I, don't, I plan on living there, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. It's just such a great spot for golf with so many players. And, I mean, if you can become a member at the Bears Club or something like that, you have the opportunity to spend time with Jack Nicholas. And I can't imagine that there's many people in the world that you would want to spend time with to learn about golf than Jack Nicholas. Um, you know, one of, I think, you know, he's in one of the groups that we just lost one of the members of that group a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, but there are very few people who understand the game that some of those guys do. And so I think the opportunity to be around them, even for a moment, you know, I've, I've, I got a five-minute lesson from Chichi Rodriguez, and it helps me even to this day. You know, so just like being in that atmosphere, it's, I think it can only be good for your game, even uh, though if it's not great for your wallet. Have you had the good fortune to meet Jack yet? I have not. No, I have okay. not. I've I've walked past him a few times, and I've been at the Bears Club with some friends, but I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and talk to him. But 
I look forward to it because I feel like it, it'll happen one day. Chai Chai Rodriguez is one of my favourites, Andy. You, of course you would be. I've played golf. You, you occasionally, you don't mind a little bit of flair and lair once you accidentally knock a putt in. Too. No. Yeah. Uh, which, speaking of flair, I, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of specific questions, Bryden. One was, um, there's been a lot of talk about um, Bryson DeChambeau uh, on tour lately for various reasons, and most of them are to do with technical things. And we had, we had a question a few weeks ago from a listener, and I promised I would put it to you when we next spoke. Uh, how do you, yeah. as someone who's more artistic as opposed to scientific, view Bryson DeChambeau and his almost obsessive nature with finding scientific benefits in, in to help his golf game? Yeah, I mean, it's it obviously works pretty well for him, and he would be a moron to try and change it. Um, all he needs to try and do is just like continue to learn how his machine works. You know, that's what we're all doing, really. And I think he's obviously a very smart guy. And there are lots of... There's obviously something right about what he's doing because he's playing some really good golf. Um, and But just in the same way that for him to say to me that, yeah, I guess you could say I'm artistic, but I'm also very analytical inside of that. Like, I, I like to get right down into the details um, of the feel and artistic side, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a guy sitting on the range working on my swing to the nth degree, but I will get right into my ball flight and how to play a course and probably go into that a little bit too much from time to time. But um, I think uh, for Bath, like, it obviously works really well for him. And so we could probably have a really interesting discussion and a lot of the things that he would say to me that were really important to him, I would probably disregard as not important. And a lot of the things that I would stress is important to him, he would probably disregard as not important. So it's, um, but that's one of the beauties of the game, right? Is that everyone plays the game differently. And the guy that ends up succeeding is just the guy that's figured himself out the best. So, so not the, the end, guy that's figured the game out the best. So the end point, Bryden, no matter how you get there, is the, and how often have you spent your life in this space? But the end point, I imagine, is to, get over the ball and have an absolute clear mind. Like just a, the clarity of thought is, is it's palpable because you are just so free of any other voices, doubts, you know, anything it, it, is, is that. So whatever it takes to get into that place, that's what all you guys are searching exactly. for, right? Really? Yeah. You're just looking for this simplicity that it's really, that it seems really simple. So just like, I like to look at things on scales and scale up and scale down. So I look at even just one shot as a metaphor for an entire career. So if you step up to a shot, you don't know anything about it, you figure out pin position, your, your distance, your lie, you know, how firm the greens are, where you've got to land it, what kind of shot. There's so many variables. Just like when you get into a golf career, into a professional career, there are so many potential distractions. And what you have to do is you have to navigate through all of those just like you do on a golf shot and you distill it down into something very simple. And that's what the players do. They take this complex situation with pin positions and wind and water and line, all this kind of stuff, and they distill it down to 
a club, at a shot, at a specific target. And when it's really simple, that's when they execute their shots the best. Hmm. So just the same way, I believe, when you scale that up to a golf, could be like the top 50 guys in the world are not necessarily the top 50 best players in the world. And what they are the best at is they've managed to distill the game down in something really simple for them. They say, well, I could do this or this or this or this when it comes to my swing, but I like to do this. I could do this or this or this or this with my travel or my gym work or whatever, And but this is what works for me, and I believe that it's good enough, and I'm just getting really good at perfecting that, and that's really simple to them, and the game becomes really simple for these guys, and that's when you start to see guys get really good at it. So when Bryson, for example, he's obviously got a lot of variables going on, but he has a great way, obviously, to be able to distill it down into something yeah. simple. Yeah. And I really think that's that's just that's just the key. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of younger players and even players my own age and players, you know, older than me, is that it's just not simple enough. You know, and and guys think that they have to add on to add on to their career or add on to this in order to get where they want to get, but they actually have to strip away more often than not. So you're 27 now. We just uh, had on the show before Brad Kennedy, who won in Japan at the weekend at 44 years of age. So you've got some time there, but where are you at? Where You, you said that a good golfer figures out himself. Where are you at with that yep. process? I think, and again, another thing that a lot of the get to, and not only just in golf, if you want to go broader, just anyone that's successful at anything, just even you guys being successful in the journalism world, you get to a point... Don't where underplay our golf, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the journalism's fine. <laughs> so anyway, it's like... Uh, so the, the thing that you get to is you get to a point where you feel like it's perfectly okay to be yourself. And whatever that means to you, you know, that's normally when you become successful at something because, you know, you ironically stand out by just being yourself because everyone else envies you because they can't do it themselves. So it's like um, when it comes to golf, realizing that you're, that it's okay to play like within your identity, I think is a really powerful thing. And just me personally, I feel like I'm either at or just really approaching that point um, where sort of figured out how I do stuff. I'm getting a really good understanding of that. And um, one of the biggest realizations I've come to recently is that if you build, if you're going to build a house, right, and you're going to do it with, you only get one measuring stick to measure everything with, and it's one meter, and it's 100 centimeters. I'll do the metric version because it's run a strange show. So <laughs> it's, and, and if one day I tell you that a meter is 100 centimeters, then the next day I tell you that a meter is 98 centimeters. And the next day I tell you it's 103 centimeters. If you keep changing stuff, you're not going to have a solid foundation. And so what I've learned is that when it comes to golf, changing stuff too often is the biggest killer because you don't give yourself time to perfect something. So because you're always looking to try and improve what you're doing, not how you're executing it. So you're always trying to improve your swing cosmetically based on what you see on your video, not how you ex execute this little tight draw to a left pin. 
you know, and that's another thing that I believe that the best players in the world, they get to that point where they, they don't mess around with what they do. All they do is grind on executing it under pressure. So don't give up hope of being a supermodel, Andy. I'm just going to get clear in my own mind it that can I can happen. I can it get can there. Happen. Yeah, I, I, it's <laughs> probably I've got to get rid of my flannel edge. We've just got to cycle through. We've got to cycle through the world until what you've got is what everyone wants. I just got to. I, I think I've got to. I've got to come to a realization that that's probably behind. That's probably beyond me. But you know, I'm comfortable in my skin. No one else wants to be in it, but I'm comfortable enough in it. Uh, hey. Um, How's the game go? How's the how's the global game going, Brighton? I mean, you're talking about yourself in your own, you know, working out your own game. But we spent a lot of time here talking about, you know, we've sort of talked, we've been speaking about, you know, the Thornbury Creek, the LPGA Tour, the winner over there shoots 31 under, course isn't long enough for her. Talking about the state of the ball and how far it goes. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about that. You know, the diminishing of great, you know, classic golf courses because of technology. Um, we're, we're just in a snapshot of your thoughts on, you know, the kind of overall state of the game. How's it tracking? Yeah, I don't think it's tracking very well, personally. I, I enjoyed uh, listening to Hazy's little tee-off on the last episode. And uh, I, I really, like, agree with a lot of it. Um, but I probably see it from a slightly different perspective where kind of what Hazy was talking about where the sort of tour is losing control of over the players, you know, where the players are starting to become almost too important that the tours are too scared to really um, discipline them at all or enforce the rules too heavily, which I think is a bad thing. I think you should always have respect for the rules and for the game above the players. Um, that I think that the tour maybe about 20 years ago when Tiger showed up on the scene, probably got a little bit too much of a sniff of how much money could be made from the, from the sport. Yeah. And just as a function of that, you start paying the players more, the guys running the tours make way too much money, especially the PGA Tour, and for a non-profit. And from there, you sort of search for ways in order to have it drive more money which I think, personally, what they've been doing over the last 10 years is trying to take the game to the fans, not bring the fans to the game. So they're trying to take the game. And, I mean, every tweet the PGA Tour does is about how long the ball's going. And they say, oh, you know, a 365-yard drive, and you, see the, and you see the footage, and it lands, and it rolls 80 yards. It's like, well, it's not really a 365-yard drive, is it? It's rolled 80 yards. So it's like, but I think they've made a real mistake where they're trying to millennialize the game too much, and it's lost its essence. I would uh, I would propose an experiment, just like I proposed to Hazy at the start of the year about this experiment, following a pro. I would say that if you spoke to the ten greatest living legends of the game and you asked them the question, "What is the essence, or what does golf mean?" I think you would get ten very different, but in-depth and thoughtful answers. I think if you ask the top 10 players in the world right now what, what golf means, I don't think you'd get, you might get one in-depth response about what it means, and that would be from Jordan. But everyone else, I feel you would get some kind of cookie-cutter answer that's like a talking point thing because you know, it's not necessarily because they don't care. It's just because it doesn't exist anymore. Where you play the game to play the game 
now there's too much about you play the game make money. You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of sad that you've got uh, you know as, as great of an achievement as Brooks winning those two U.S. Opens. Like he's flat out said the last couple of years that he was a rather big baseball player. Yeah. How sad is that for the game? Yeah. You know that this guy just broke a record. Like really couldn't care if he played the game or not. You know, it's like, what does that say about what the tour has created? I think the tour has created its own monster, personally about uh, trying to, like, attract all these people or bring the game and make it more appealing to your younger millennials. Um, personally, I'd like to see the game go back to, you know, what Tiger would see it go back to, honestly, from what he's been saying. Oh, I think there's universal uh, appreciation for what you've said. I'm, you giving, know. I'm giving you a sitting ovation, Bryden. Yeah, I, think no, that's that's, great. I think that's spot yeah. on. So... Okay, that's a great answer, and we've probably taken up enough of your time now, and we've got to keep some material for the next time we speak to you. But I do want you to have the first crack at telling me <laughs> who Scott Hen was referring to, and then Hazy and Blakey, okay. if, if Bryden doesn't get close or can't come up with an answer, I want you two to have a crack at it, okay? Do you know the answer? I have no idea. Okay. So we, we all follow Scott Hen on Twitter, and he's, if, you, if you don't follow Scott Hen on Twitter, you're letting yourself down. He is entertaining. Uh, it's funny. Um, loose. It's great. Loose. It's great. He's great. So he put out a tweet on the 7th of July at 6.28 a.m. Now, I don't know whether that's his time or my time, but anyway. No, it was his time because it was 9.13 a.m. when I printed this out. So anyway, irrespective. <laughs> uh, this was his tweet from Scott Hend. My philosophy, if I've pissed you off, better you don't talk to me again. Two reasons. One, you're a flog. Two, it's going to happen again. Way too many wankers about these days. Do your job. Be professional about it. Hashtag over it. Hashtag ego suck. Hashtag so easy. Brian McPherson, who is Scott? Who or what is Scott Hen talking about? Oh, man. I don't even know. Oh, God, no. It sounds like whatever it was, it sounds like whatever it was got him a little bit riled up. <laughs> but, I mean, you, 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 could, you could apply that to so many people. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking rules like, official. Rules official? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Usually I like his tweets for all the uh, education in French Premier Crew and Grand Crew wine, actually. But really? this one. There you go. Look at you go. Yeah. What do you reckon, Hazy? That's South Africa and France today, Blake. <laughs> really impressed. You're blind. You're killing it. What do you reckon? Who's Hendy talking about? I'd like to think he was talking about someone like your mate D. Trump, but. I don't think he is. I, I tend to agree with Blakey. I think it's someone who's probably looked at him the wrong way and given him a, you know, a by the book response as opposed to a, you know, a, a lucid response to the situation at a golf tournament. Well, Scotty, if you are listening to the show, uh, can you just put out another tweet? Um, hashtag it inside the ropes, but just give us, just give us the ex. You don't have to explain it to anyone. Who do you think it is? Andy? I got no idea. I don't know where he was and what precipitated the authoring of this tweet. But um, I'd love to know. I, I'd, I'd love to know. I'm fascinated. I think he'd be a fairly good um, judge of flogs and wankers and such. Yeah. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Not at all. He, Not he, at, no, he, he would have been in Ireland, wouldn't he? Was he in Ireland? I think he was. Last week. Yeah, Miss Cut. I reckon. Yeah, I reckon you Maybe might be right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. 
How can you be I upset? With, I, I don't know how you can be that upset when you go to Ireland. It's uh, there's too many other great things going on when you're in Ireland to be that upset about anything. Hey, Bryden, uh, just a lot of things uh, in there that uh, we've loved talking to you about and hearing you talk about. Um, let's make sure that it's not um, as big a break between the next instalment of the McPherson Files. Uh, appreciate you joining us on Absolutely. the show. Thanks, guys. Fantastic to hear from Bryden McPherson, and uh, we wish that young man all the very best for all in his corner. Um, other bits and pieces before we wrap this thing up. Um, do we have to change, oh, not change our mind or change the way we think about Patrick Reid, but um, is Patrick Reid finding a place in our hearts all of a sudden, Hazy, that maybe previously wasn't there? I'll, I'll, I'll seed him a place in my mind, Andy. I can't find a place in the in the aorta region for him. <laughs> but Explain why we're having this conversation. Well, you and I were fairly forthright in our um, stance against Patrick Reid's, um, I guess, his acclamation or yep. otherwise at the Masters. Um, this week, just gone, or last week, he was a guest speaker at the Golf Australia National Camp, which we spoke mm. about last week on the podcast. And by everyone's report, and there were 35 or 6 players and a handful of coaches just enamoured of the way he spoke. Um, so the day before he actually did speak, was he spoke on Thursday, he had intended and planned to speak to the, all the crew there in Houston, where he trains with Kevin Kirk, his coach and the sort of uh, convener of the Golf Australia National Camp. He had been intended to speak on Wednesday and it was belting down rain. They had some phenomenal amount of rain at Woodlands there around Houston. And everyone, all the pros, all the Golf Australia amateurs, everyone else around the course was off the course and until it um, was – sorry, they all left the course. Yeah. Only one person was out there in the driving, driving rain, and it was Patrick Reed. And he only left the course after three hours in this rain. Just Apparently, it was just a phenomenal amount of rain, like completely yeah. monsoonal rain. Uh, he only left when it was physically impossible to swing the sticks, and he was preparing for Carnoustie and preparing for the worst. And the next day he came into the camp when he's speaking to the uh, Australian youngsters and he picked out Kieran Day, who we've had on the show mm. from Perth. And Kieran Day was uh, picked out solely because he was the second last person off the course. He went out and he putted um, for a little while in the rain and he drew some plaudits, I guess, from Patrick Reed. But Reed basically said, why aren't you guys out there getting wet? What the hell? You know, what are you doing? And his message to the whole crew for the next hour as he spoke to them was, you just got to work harder, work smarter, work harder than the person alongside you. And in your realm, you'll become the best. Ultimately, if you work harder, you'll become the best. When you figure, when you've conquered that little pool, you move on to the next little stream and that's so on up to where he is right now. And I'm told by everyone who was there that he was, uh, an inspiration. Wow. And a brilliant, right. and a brilliant orator for that matter too, which, you know, <laughs> it's hard for us to comprehend given our well, background with him. Well, all the stories, like just to, defend our own position to a degree. I mean, we, we were, you know, at Augusta. The the narrative was all about Patrick Reed's past. And that was, for a lot of people in the area, um, sort of being held against him to a degree. Uh, so I think we that probably clouded the moment to a degree. It certainly did for me. I can't speak on your behalf, Hazel, no, it but did. it certainly did for me yep. to a degree. But that's, hand on heart, I mean, I've never met, Patrick Reid, I've never said a word to him. I don't have any personal grievances with Patrick Reid, but I, but to to dismiss uh, someone's history 
um, to rewrite somebody's narrative is not to tell the full story. So that's all we were doing. And all we were responding by and large at the time was to the greeting. And as you say, yeah. the acclamation of the Augusta natives and a lot of the American press to Patrick Reed. So we're just trying to bring that back when we were there. Now, what you're describing and what I'm sure we'll hear more of when we speak to some of the people in the room, that is the sort of stuff that maybe indicates that you've got a kid who's become a man and is growing up and um, he's turning himself, yeah, yeah, turning himself into someone else. You know, well, the, th- Think about it, is great. if it's your favourite footy team or whatever sport you're interested in other than golf. What inspires you to barrack for that team is you, you think that they're out there busting their gut, they're working oh, yeah. hard, and you take great pride when you hear your footy team, for example, is you know going hell for leather. Mm. Um, I, I can't think of a better example of that. An American in teeming rain preparing for Carnoustie long after everyone else has left the building. Mm. Oh, it's, it is inspiring. And, and I know that there's 40 Australians who have uh, a newfound respect or knowledge, I guess, not respect, because that that implies that they didn't respect him. But a newfound knowledge of what makes Patrick Reed so good. So, you know, hats off to him. I've, I've, I, he's not in my heart, Andy, but he's now in my head. Yeah, good. Um, the Aussie Open, Andy, was what I was going to raise. The Aussie Open men's is coming back to Melbourne, uh, 2020 at Kingston Heath, magnificent Kingston Heath Golf Club, and 2022 Victoria Golf Club, magnificent sandbelt course as well. I thought that was a big announcement during the week, except Hazy, since uh, it's come out, a few people have said to me, oh, does that mean it's not in Sydney anymore? Well, no, there is an ongoing arrangement with Sydney. This is slightly confusing. There is an ongoing arrangement with Sydney through Events New South Wales. So I think there's another eight to go in Sydney, but as part of that deal, they were allowed to bring a couple back to Melbourne. Mm. I presume, Hazy, because it was felt that it hadn't been here for a a long, long time. So they they got a little escape clause, I suppose, for a couple of years. Without knowing 100% of the details, I think it was always planned that they used the two out years. And and I think from everyone's perspective, it was... um, I think there's a more cordial relationship between Destination New South Wales and Visit Victoria than we otherwise might believe. So, um, yeah, it was probably always going to be in Melbourne, I understand now. I uh, didn't at the time. So we, we're basically, for the odd years, we're up uh, until 2023, we're up at the Australian Golf Club, the Lakes this year, yeah. then Kingston Heath, then Victoria. So 2024 will be fascinating to see where it goes then. So no Melbourne uh, venue of a, an Australian Open men's since 2002. Yeah. That, which, you know, 16 years. So yeah. uh, Melbourne's been a bit starved. I mean, we had the World Cup here at uh, Kingston Heath a couple of years ago. Um, but the Masters fell over, so you know there hasn't been a lot. So you're going to uh, get. It's a tough argument if they're all our listeners in Adelaide and Hobart and Brisbane. Yeah, that's, yeah sure. It, it's a yeah, tough be... argument to prosecute, I reckon. Yeah, I understand that. Well, look, if you if you actually had the perfect world, you would you would rotate the Australian Open around Definitely. all the capital cities and do it like that. But the the realities, the commercial realities are, there's a deal in place. There's money that needs to be found to cover the expenses. And so it's it's with Sydney because the New South Wales government want it more than anyone else. So, uh, but we, you know, they're going to get two back here. I think that's great, particularly for Victoria, who had such a controversial uh, mm. tournament there in two thousand and two. It was probably the worst week for the Australian Open ever in some ways. I mean, it was an absolute disaster, losing a whole round on a perfect. Uh, you know, it's a good weather. beautiful afternoon to lose a whole day's play because the greens are unplayable. So for Victoria to be able to get it back and to set it up nicely and do it properly next time, I yeah. think that's great oh, as well. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, housekeeping? 
a couple of things before the actual housekeeping. I just wanted to give a shout out to um, to the two winners of the Queensland Junior Amateur oh, last yeah, week, which we yeah. touched on at the start. Izzy Taylor, um, who's just gone uh, from strength to strength and had a massive win in the, in the girls' division. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal week, really, to be honest. Um, and she shot rounds of 66, 70, 69, 71 to win by 10 strokes. Golf. That's great golf. So congrats yeah. to Izzy Taylor. And, and and the men's winner, or the boys' winner, is a Malaysian 16-year-old who's studying at the international uh, at the Hills International School. Jason, Jason Dave. Dave Jason so, uh, Zubair Fideas. That's going to roll off the tongue beautifully if he beautifully. gets on a roll. Yeah, so. oh, I'm not saying I did it well. I'm just saying that's going to be a good one for commentators in years to come. And uh, just uh, this is completely obscure, Andy, but I just got this off the Gulf Western Australia crew. Um, there were two sisters who uh, shot to prominence in the Provincial Cup over in a little town called Brookton, about two hours east of Perth the other day, and they uh, they made it a family affair. Uh, Louise was the winner, and Fiona McCarley was the runner-up in, in the Provincial Championship over there. So congrats as we spread our tentacles all around Australia. Indeed we do. Um, and before you do the um, the other bits and pieces, we do have another nom- another entry to the uh, Memorial Roger Bannister file, mm. if that's okay. Please. And I've actually taken the liberty, and you correct me if if I'm out of line, by all, by all means rebuke me and say, no, it must be a golfer. But Rafa Nadal oh. goes in. Oh. <laughs> Rafael Nadal goes in. Now, I was watching him playing Alex Demon or the other night, the young Australian, and he is painful, painful. He's got his idiosyncrasies, we know that, but, oh, he can take a long time. Towel that corner, towel that corner, balls drink here, bottle. balls there, drink, drink bottle, bottle there. bounce, twitch, pull, tweak, realign, bounce again, get Point. the headband right. Uh, he's got too much going on. Uh, it, uh, tick. I, I you're with me yeah, on this? Yeah. I'll Can tick, we put him I'll in? I'll tick with that. Yeah. We're not going to let any... It's not as bad on grass because it only takes two and a half hours as opposed to the six-hour dribble oh, fest at Roland Garros. So we can put him in? And what about uh, uh, the US amateur stuff, Hazy? I wanted to mention that. Is it Stephanie Bunky? Is that the Bunky? Correct, correct, correct pronunciation? From Victoria and Sophie Yip from New South Wales, both qualified for the US women's amateur. Did you read the story with Sophie Yip? It was just an absolute cracker. Yeah. Her parents locked the, or dad locked the sticks in the boot. Her tea time's approaching. They smashed the window of the rental car to pop the boot, and she ran to the first tee without a, uh, a warm up, played away, birdied the last to get into a playoff, and chipped in on the second playoff hole to win. See, that's great. That's Good what honor. sports all about. All we should get her on soon. Well, she's, she's 13. had a Concord, Concord goal. She's 13, 13 years old. Years of age. Because mm. there was a, hey, wasn't there a 14 or 15 year old girl, 13 year old girl granted. Access to the LPGA tournament. You know, they gave them these... US Open, I think, maybe last year. And there was a was year, little young girl playing. Yeah. Um, Lucy Liu. Not... There was a young girl playing. Yeah. I think there was a young girl playing this week. Anyway, well, I could be getting my wife completely cross. I better get to the yes, housekeeping, please. Andy. And just, this is really important for everyone who would like to get to involved with the Australian Open in their own particular way. Uh, for the success, second successive year, Golf Australia is offering golfers around the country the chance to win the experience of a lifetime and play like a pro at the Aussie Open. 24 lucky golfers from around the country will play nine holes at the Lakes Golf Club on day three, during day three of the Australian Open, Andy. And any one of our listeners could be one of them. Winners will travel to Sydney on Friday, 16 November, stay for two nights, receive a gift pack and can attend the Champions Cocktail Function. Clubs and facilities around the country are currently running qualifying competitions right through the 21st of October. Contact your club to find out more about the Play 9 competition Perfect. at the Australian Open. Perfect. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. 
wherever you uh, have your um, podcast delivered to you, make sure you subscribe. Give us a nice, generous um, five-star rating and Blakey or Hazy will read that out. Uh, I'm done. I'm out. You both cleared your books? All clear. Right, good all on done. You. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Uh, we'll be back same time next week to do it all again.